This is the How Did You Get Into That Podcast with Graham Baldwin, Episode 3. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. Greetings, my friends. What's happening? Thanks for hanging out with us today. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. My name is Grant, and uh, honored, stoked, privileged, pleased that you decided to join us today. Got a really cool interview with my friend Sean Ogle. Sean uh, runs a website called Location 180, where he just teaches people about building a business, teaching them uh, how to live anywhere, how to achieve freedom that they're looking for in life. And I think at the end of the day, like really that's what we're all looking for is we do what we do, not necessarily for the, the, uh, so that we can have a massive bank account, although that's lovely and a delightful thing to have. But I think we just want more freedom in life. And so Sean is someone that's really teaching people how to do that. So today we'll talk about his, his journey, even going, uh, like how he's dealing with some of the resistance of coming out of college, how even within a year he realized that what he was doing wasn't at all what he wanted to do with his life. And I, I think I for myself and many others that I've talked to, they can really relate to that story of went to college, got the degree, thought I knew the path I was on, quickly realized it wasn't where I wanted to be, and really just how you kind of transition out of that. So you'll hear some of that from Sean's journey today. Also, I love this part. This is crazy, but you'll hear about how he was kind of planning his exit strategy, how he was figuring out what he wanted to do, and then he was completely blindsided by the company with some shocking news. So you're going to want to make sure you, you pay attention to that. Uh, also hear about how he met with a mentor, sort of talking, uh, or just really just kind of taking some little steps of action towards creating the life he wanted to have, and by how just taking some of those small steps, things really started to fall into place for him. And I think really that's a theme you hear through a lot of these interviews and you'll continue to hear is that these people don't have it all figured out. They haven't arrived. They're not on the mountaintop and they're teaching people the way. They're just people that are taking small incremental steps of action and how things tend to work out for people who are taking some type of action, even though if it may not always be the right thing, but I'm doing something to move the ball down the field there. And then also you'll you'll hear about the three specific steps he teaches uh, for others to live a location-independent lifestyle on your own terms. So think you're really going to like this. So uh, without further delay, without further hesitation, I want to give you Sean, actually, hang on, pause that. Before I give you that, as always, make sure that you visit grantbalden.com. You can find all the show notes for this episode at grantbalden.com slash Sean Ogle, S-E-A-N-O-G-L-E, grantbalden.com slash Sean Ogle. So make sure that you stop by, you check that out. All right, take two, without further delay, here's my friend, Sean Ogle. Well, today I'm hanging out with my friend, Sean Ogle. Sean, how you doing, my man? Fantastic. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet, dude. All right, so tell us, you run this website, Location 180. What exactly is this? What exactly do you do? So Location 180 is all about travel and entrepreneurship. So specifically, I help people build small businesses, allow them to work from anywhere in the world. Nice. Like what kind of small businesses would someone be able to build and be wherever? Generally, online-based businesses. So whether it's you know freelance work, you know freelance copywriting, SEO, basic web design, e-commerce, affiliate marketing, blogging. You know that's all kind of stuff that falls under the realm of of things that I talk about. Nice. Well, what about and all those things you kind of mentioned there? It seems like a lot more technical type of skills. Are there other things that are that maybe wouldn't tie into if if I'm not like a tech geek or anything that I, I would be able to do? Well, it's one of those things that it's not nearly as technical as you think. So for instance, freelance writing, you know, 
I'm guessing you're probably at least an okay writer growing up the United States, that kind of thing. Um, so all these things that seem really daunting, you know, I would tell you, okay, you should start a website so that you can market your services. Well, you might be thinking, I'm not a technical guy. I have no idea how to start a website, but there's tools that actually make it much easier than you think. And there's ways to find work that's probably quite a bit easier than you think. So that's, that's a route a lot of people start with because it allows them to build confidence. It allows them to build income. And then they can start doing all those sexier projects that are maybe you know something they're passionate about or hobby-based or anything like that. Beautiful. All right, let's pause there. Let's come back uh, to that. Let's start by just going back in time here. Of uh, t- you, you live in Portland today, correct? Yep. And so correct. you were born and raised, lived in Oregon your whole life. What was life like growing up for you? I was the epitome of average middle class white kid. I mean, that was nice. that was my life. You know, I I went to elementary school, middle school, and high school in Eugene, Oregon. I knew since I was probably in sixth grade, I was going to go to Oregon State with my best friend. We're going to live together. Six months before I graduated, I got a, a job as a financial analyst. I was a finance major, so I, I got the job. Moved up to Portland. And it was just very, very traditional. There wasn't anything super exciting. You know, we took the family vacations. I grew up playing competitive tennis. So I'd play, you know, tournaments on the weekends and lessons after school and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was very much just kind of average suburban, you know, childhood. Yeah. The type of stuff that lifetime TV shows are made of. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. exactly. So you do that. Well, like when you're in high school and even just growing up, like, did you always want to be a financial analyst or you just knew I wanted to go to Oregon State? What I do beyond that? Eh, I'm not really sure yet. No, I knew I wanted to run my own business. And so when I studied finance, you know, it's like, okay, I can do business management. I can do marketing. I chose finance because I thought it was going to be harder to learn after the fact. So it's like I'm paying all this money for an education. Well, management, marketing, those are kind of personality based skills. Finance, you know, it's like you got a lot of formulas and numbers, and that was the stuff I wanted to learn. Looking back, I should have studied accounting. It would have been much more beneficial to my goals as an entrepreneur. But, you know, that's just kind of the the path I chose. Gotcha. So you're studying finance and just knowing you want to do something with it. When did it start to kind of like crystallize and just figure it out? I've got to kind of hone in on what I want to do with this. You know, the only reason it worked out the way it did is because I had like a distant relative who came up to me six months before I graduated. He said, Sean, we're uh, moving our business. They worked for a big finance firm and they said, we want to start our own business and we need somebody that we can trust to come in and, you know, help us out with this move. So we're basically, we're offering you a job six months before you graduate to come in and do this. And so I wasn't sure what my plan was. My plan was to travel and, you know, then figure things out. And so before I knew it, I was thrown into this analyst position that wasn't necessarily what I was looking for, but it was the first opportunity. And when you're a senior in college and you're the first one of your friends to get, you know, a well-paying job, I mean, it's pretty exciting. So I was like, sure, we'll try this. We'll see where it goes. Nice. So really like no intention, you weren't even really looking, you knew you wanted to have your own business, but weren't really sure what that looked like. Opportunity comes along. Let's just take it. And it buys you a little more time to figure out what you want to do. Exactly. And so, you know, I I took a trip right after I graduated with a bunch of my best friends. It was supposed to be a three month trip through Europe. And I had to cut it down to 18 days to start this job. And so I think that was one of the things like that was like one of the things that planted the seed. It's like, wait a second, I wanted to have this adventure. I didn't get to have it. Now I'm starting this job. So you're kind of starting out on a sour note because I never got to do those things that I've been planning on for four years. You know, I got to do a little bit, but 18 days is a lot different than three months. Had you been plotting out any type of business ideas or things that you would have done had the, the analyst thing not fallen in your lap? 
all through college, I had kind of a variety of businesses. So my very first one is I, <laughs> I scalped concert tickets. So I'd buy concert oh, tickets yeah. to shows I knew would sell out and I'd resell them on eBay. So I did that for like a year. My main business is I painted houses all through college. Oh, so cool. that was how I paid my way through school. So I was like, well, I can keep painting houses and make some money and kind of figure out you know, what to do from there. Probably three months after I started my position as a financial analyst, I had a t-shirt business with a friend of mine. We sold high-end t-shirts, and that lasted for, for about a year. So I always knew I wanted to, to run a business of some sort. I just never kind of quite found the one that was going to be the really long-term venture. Yeah, it's funny. I think a lot of like entrepreneurs like ourselves, uh, even when you look back early 20s or so or college, we all like dabbled in just this random thing. Yeah, we were just fascinated exactly. by it. Like My wife and I, we had an eBay business for a while where we bought and sold purses. And like, dude, I knew my purses, I knew my diaper bags, I knew all that stuff because it just worked. You know, it's just kind of one of those things like, how did I end up here? This is really weird. But, you know, we're making a little bit of income on the side. It's kind of fun. You know, we're, we're doing our own deal. Whatever we can find to scratch that itch is what we go for. One of my best friends, the guy I actually did the house painting business with, he used to have an eBay business selling women's purses. Nice. That's really funny. That's awesome. <laughs> that's cool. Right, so you got the analyst gig and, and that's with your uncle. Is it his business or a different corporation? So basically, it's like my dad's cousin. So he's okay. like great uncle or some some distant relative. However, that um, works out. So he was working for a big you know financial firm and wanted to start a smaller RIA firm. So instead of like being a stockbroker where they're working on commissions, they're managing people's accounts based on assets under management. So they'll charge them, you know, if you've got a million bucks, they'll charge you 1% annually to manage your fees. So that was what I went to work for. So for you, that job comes up and it's not really like, oh, this is my lifelong dream. It's like, eh. I guess I'll do it. They're going to pay me and I'll figure out what I want to do in well, the meantime. At the time, I was actually really excited about it. You know, it was one of those, I don't think, you know, coming out of college, you don't know what you really want to do. And so I'm like, sweet, I've got a, a office with a view. I get to wear a suit and tie to work. I, you know, it's going to be cool. This is going to be my thing. You know, they were talking, they wanted me. I mean, there's only four people in the business. The two principals are administrative assistant and me. So, you know, they were talking about having me there for the long term, you know, being a partner long term. When he retires, I'd come up and, so I, I mean, it was really a pretty sweet gig that a lot of people would kill for in my position. So you saw this as a potential, like this is a potential long-term opportunity. This is not like a passing through, like I could, I could see myself here. Oh, absolutely. Especially because, you know, they were starting the business. I was coming in on the ground floor. I looked at this as an opportunity to be entrepreneurial with a real business. Unfortunately, it turned out to be more of a job. No, it was completely a job. And I didn't really have much in the, the entrepreneurial part of it, at least not in the three years that I was there. All right. So you get into how quick into it are you quickly realizing like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not for me. You know, for the first six months or so, it was, you know, things were crazy. We're, you know, have you seen the movie Jerry Maguire? No, um, of course. Where, where, hey, you know, he's getting ready to leave and him and Jay Mar or whoever, they're on the phone right, right. calling all the clients trying yep. to get people to like go one way or the other. I mean, that's how the first, you know, few months of this job were. It's like calling clients hey, we moved our business, come over here. So it was like lots of frantic setting things up, learning new things. So that was pretty exciting. But after about six months, things kind of settled down. I started, you know, settling into this, you know, analyst role. And about a year into it, that's when I was kind of like, okay, whoa, whoa. <laughs> How did I get stuck doing all of this stuff? This isn't interesting. This isn't something I like. And my boss is also very old school. You know, he has, you know, kind of person that, you know, doesn't like, you know, digital records, everything's got to be on paper and doesn't like the internet and things like that. So I'm trying to push them kind of into the 21st century based on my background. Sure. And they didn't really want that to happen. So we're there's, you know, kind of a battle that was starting about a year into it as I was kind of trying to, you know, help them modernize some of the, the things they were doing. 
So you're there for a year, starting to hate life, starting to hate the gig, but you're there for three years. What, what happened those second two years? A lot of uncertainty, doubt, terror, trying to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do because, you know, it's, it's family. So there was this sense of obligation. They took a chance on me out of school. So it's like, obviously, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with him. <laughs> and so, you know, it was just this, this kind of like I owe it to them to stick around longer. It's like, oh, maybe things will get a little bit better. And also keep in mind, this was in 2007. So when we opened up the business, stock market was at 14,000. Everything was thriving by like May of 2009 stock market was at 6400 all of our assets are down our revenue is down you know he's coming to me saying if you can think of any creative ways to save the company money like let me know and so the real catalyst came in February of 2009 because I took I'd saved up all my vacation time for a year and begged my boss for months to let me take a trip down to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil for Carnival with uh, my best friend. And it was on that trip, that's when I said, all right, something's got to give. I got to set some timelines to this and start making some changes because the longer I stay in this position, the more difficult it's going to be to make a transition out of it. It's crazy how many people have that kind of story where it was like, I can look back at one defining trip, moment, instance, conversation, something that just triggered it where you're like, that's it. I I can't keep doing this. So for you, it was that trip to Rio. What was it? Was it anything like specific where you're on the beach or you're walking around or what happened where you're like, sheesh, I got to get out of here. Oh, I mean, there was a very specific moment. So we were down there for two weeks and we had a a friend that we actually met on that Europe trip uh, right after I graduated lived down there and she, you know, is very well off in Rio. So she showed us around. We danced in the carnival celebration. We went hang gliding over Rio. We went to Iguazu Falls. I mean, we had like the most amazing Brazil trip you could ever have. And it was on the very last day. We were sitting on Copacabana Beach, holding a coconut, like looking out at, you know, crystal clear water. And it was just like, I should be able to do this whenever I want. You know, my boss shouldn't be able to dictate when I can, you know, take vacations or when I can go get my oil changed or when I can have doctor's appointments. I should have full control over that. Nice. And so we came back and my buddy that uh, I was with, he left his job three weeks later. A month later, he was living in Hawaii where he was for like eight months while he was just basically biding his time getting by so that he could start his world trip traveling around the world in January of 2010. So that became my deadline. I said, by January of 2010, I've got to figure something out. I've already got to deal with this guy living in Maui and having to hear about it all the time. But if he's off traveling around the world and I'm still in a job that I didn't like uh, simply because I didn't have the guts to leave, then I'm, that's something I'm going to regret for the rest of my life. For sure. So tell me the, the timeline then. When did you go to Rio? That was February of 2009. All right. So you got about a year to work with before January arrives. Yep. I'm just figuring out. So what are you doing in that year to, of preparing to make that leap? So basically what happened is, well, first off, the day I got back, March 1st, I got a 20% pay cut. <laughs> so I'm having this great trip. I'm already thinking about leaving. I come back and one of the first things that's happened is, shot. I'm just going to throw this out there. We're cutting your pay by 20%. Uh, it was either that or fire somebody and we didn't want to do that. <laughs> so, so already it's like things are starting to kind of, you know, crystallize a little bit, like with how much I need to make a change. Right. Within, it was probably a couple weeks after that, I stumbled across Chris Gillibo's blog, The Art of Nonconformity. Right. And I had never heard of a blog. I didn't know what that was. Like the terms like location independent or lifestyle design or, I mean, nothing, that meant nothing to me. But I started reading this guy's site. I'm just like, holy crap, like this is what I want to do. This guy's got it figured out. And it turns out he uh, had just moved to Portland. So I sent him an email and said, hey, here's who I am. This is what I'm doing. I'm looking to make a change. Any chance you'd be willing to meet me for coffee? And he said yes. So I went and met him for coffee, and he was the one that encouraged me to start a blog. 
So I did some research. I started looking at WordPress and all these things. And in May of 2009, it's actually almost my five-year anniversary. This week is my five-year anniversary of starting Location 180. Sweet. Congrats. And so so that's, that was kind of what started pushing me in this direction was starting uh, the website. Nice. It seems like a lot of people have that again, just kind of that similar story and similar track where I don't really know what I want to do. I just don't, I know I don't want to keep doing this, but a lot of times we know it when we see it. Like we connect with someone, we see someone, we come across a website, we see someone doing the thing. We're like, dude, that's it. We just have that light bulb eureka moment. Like, ah, I found it. This is great. I got to figure out how to do that. And it's crazy how like so many times we find that person who's doing that thing. And when we reach out to them, they're oftentimes extremely helpful and extremely generous and kind to say, here's how I did it. And that's, you know, ultimately that's kind of the part of the show is being able to say for people that are looking at the Sean Ogles of the world going, okay, this dude gets to travel around and teach other people to do the same. How do I get into that? And it's the same thing that, you know, Chris was able to do for you. So so when you meet with Chris, what's that conversation like? How does that go? So first off, I had to, I think I lied to my boss. I said I had a doctor's appointment. I'm over on the east side of Portland in like hipster central wearing a suit and tie. Fit right in. Starbucks. And Chris is just like, oh man, you obviously, uh, you know, need to make some changes here. You got to get out of this world. Yeah. And so, you know, we're talking and, you know, he, he made some recommendations for other sites that I should check out, some personal development sites. I, the one I specifically remember was Steve Pavlina's site at the time. And he's like, you know, go look at some of these blogs and, you know, consider maybe starting one of your own. So I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm looking at these things and, you know, finally I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So a month later I went back, I said, Chris, all right, I've, I've started a blog. Can we meet again? Because I'm not sure what's next. And I actually got an email from somebody last week saying, you know, I wanted to go back and I wanted to see what your first blog post looked like. And I was reading it and I saw that your first comment was Chris Gilbo. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> um, so it was kind of funny how it all worked out. Nice. But, Very so, cool. So he kind of took a little bit of a mentor role for me in that first year and beyond. So we'd meet for, you know, coffee like once or twice a month or once every month or two. And I'd kind of be like, okay, I've got some blog posts. You know, it's like, okay, I did my first guest post. You know, okay, I made my first dollar online. And he would kind of just provide feedback all along the way. So leading up towards January, by the time January 2010 hits, do you have any savings in place? Do you have any plan in place? Or where are you at with the blog that made you confident that you, you could or couldn't make the jump? Yeah, so the real catalyst happened in August of 2009. So I've been doing the blog for a couple months. You know, I was starting to, you know, formulate some plans, but didn't have anything set in stone. And I talked to Chris about him. And at one point, he did a, a meetup, and there was 40 or 50 people there. And I, I remember walking across the street, and he yells at me. He's like, hey, Sean, by the way, you better follow through with all those things you talked about, because I don't want to have to rewrite your chapter in my book. <laughs> so in his first book, The Art of Nonconformity, there's a chapter where he talks about uh, me compared to somebody else. So this other person that he's seen multiple times in the last couple of years, and every time it's like, hey, Chris, I want to do this. Hey, Chris, I want to do this. And it's the same conversation every time, and he takes no action. Right. And then me, who you know takes action based on his advice. So I was like, okay, I've got to do something now. No, no pressure. Yeah. And so this was at the time where my boss is like, hey, you can think of ways to save the company money. I want to hear about him. So that September, I submitted a remote work proposal. I told my boss that I would take a 50% pay cut and he left me work on a trial basis for three months from Hawaii, where my best friend was. Um, I'd open us up to new business. We'd make the company more secure and allow them to travel because we'd have to figure out how to do that uh, security-wise. So I had this whole elaborate five-page proposal. And a month later, after multiple meetings talking about it, I went in. They said, hey, Sean, meeting, conference room. We want to talk about your, your proposal. And he sat me down. He said, Sean, we've uh, decided not to accept your proposal. 
but we will accept this as your resignation. <laughs> wow. Were you just blindsided? Totally. I didn't see that coming at all. Holy and crap. It was one of those. He's like, you know, we'd like you to stick around for the next two weeks. You'll make a little bit more money. Uh, you'll teach us everything that you know and, you know, help us with all your processes and everything. And then we'll you'll go on your way. And we, we went back and forth. And in the end, I could have saved my job. You know, there was a position. There was a way to, to do that. But I kind of said, you know what, if this is how you're going to treat me, like maybe this is just what I need to do and get out of here. And so it was probably, you know, realistically, it was probably a year earlier than I really wanted to, even based on my timeline, just because, you know, you're always waiting for that perfect time that never really exists. So at the time, I ended up having, I had about $10,000 in savings. The blog, you know, was starting to gain a little bit of traction. A week later, I wrote a post called My Last Day. So I wrote the post where I actually, you know, left my job. And a couple days after that, opportunities just kind of started showing up. So Chris offered me a a job as his affiliate manager. And that's something I still do today. Dan Andrews of the Tropical MBA, who at the time had absolutely no brand, no, like nobody knew who he was, had this creepy sales page, the video of him in the Philippines saying he wanted to bring an intern out to Asia (laughs) (laughs) to work with him. He's like, I'll pay your basic living expenses and you work part time and I'll teach you internet marketing and you help me grow my business. So he reached out to me, sent me an email, said, hey, I think what you're doing is great. You should look into this. I want to bring you out here. And so two months later, I'm on a flight to Bangkok meeting this random dude from the internet at 1 a.m. at the airport. (laughs) And it turned out to be the, the best thing I ever could have done. Wow. That all happened very quickly, it sounds like. Yeah. Between like, you know, September, October and January, you know, a lot changed. I sold my car. I started taking things more serious of business. I decided I was going to move to Asia for seven months. You know, I still wasn't sure how I was going to make a living. I still wasn't sure how I was going to start a business and all of this. But I knew that I was going to get the adventure that I wanted. I knew it would give me an opportunity to write about interesting things on the blog. And so both of those things seemed like a pretty good idea at the time. Yeah, for sure. So whenever your boss and they, they sit you down and they say, hey, we're going to accept this as your resignation, are you feeling are you feeling pissed? Are you feeling ticked? Are you feeling hurt? Are you feeling relieved? Oh, I'm feeling all of the above. Yeah. I was terrified. And it was the kind of thing I went back in and you know the next day I was like, okay, I just want you to know I, I view this as involuntary termination. I plan to collect unemployment, all that kind of stuff. And that really pissed him off because he thought that it was more of a mutual thing than it was. Um, and I looked at it as being like, hey, you're firing me. So, you know, it was it was tough because, you know, again, we're an office of four people. So right. and family. And family. And so you've got this guy I've known my whole life who, you know, in a lot of ways has kind of taken a, a father figure kind of role. You know, I see him every day and I know he, you know, kind of looked at me the same way. It's like, take you under your wing and, you know, kind of teach you the business and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I still, you know, credit a lot of where I'm at today to things that I learned from him. But I didn't see him for, I saw him at my sister's wedding last summer. And that was the first time I'd seen him since 2009. Wow. So it was, there was definitely some hard feelings afterwards in both directions. Sure. So you head out to Bangkok a couple weeks later. What happens from there? So I got an apartment in Bangkok. I meet, you know, Dan and immediately he's basically like, so uh, what do you want to do? He's like, how do you, what do you think about going down to the islands for a while? You want to go down the islands? I was like. Sure. That, that sounds great. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and I remember I was standing on, this was like, you know, three days after I arrived in Thailand, we hopped on a flight. I'm standing on a beach in Krabi, Thailand, like looking up at these massive cliffs, like in the ocean. And it was like a Wednesday or something. I was just like, how did I get here? Like somewhere along the way, like even if none of this pans out, I made some really good life decisions to end up right here at this moment. Yeah. And so I convinced my buddy, Ryan, who the guy living in Hawaii, I convinced him to start his world trip in Thailand. So he met us out there. 
We spent like two weeks hanging out in uh, the islands. Ian, Dan's partner with Tropical MBA and the podcast, you know, he came out, the CEO of the company, he came out. We all hung out and traveled around. And after like two or three weeks, he was basically like, all right, I'm going back to Manila. You can come with me if you want. You can stay down here in the islands or you can go somewhere else in Asia and work remotely. So I popped back up to Bangkok. I got an apartment there and that was kind of my home base for the next six months. So at this point, you, you've been away from the company for what, a few months now or so? Yeah. And you, you, location 180 is up and running. Are you making revenue from that or where, where's your income coming from? At that point, I was making 800 bucks a month from Dan for my basic living expenses and that was about it. You know, I had a little bit of money coming in from the blog. You know, I think my first big win with the blog came in May of 2010. So, you know, four or five months after I arrived in Thailand. And so making a little bit of money here and there, but not a ton necessarily. And luckily, Thailand's a cheap place to live. And so that was kind of part of the the benefit is I can go, I can learn these skills, I can build up the blog, and I can do it in a place that not only has adventure, but is cheap for me to, to do it and cheap for me to live. But it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like you're saying too, that I'm willing to live on 800 bucks a month knowing that I get to dictate the terms versus I'm living in a, in a lifestyle I don't want, making good money, but having to wear a suit and hating my life. Oh, absolutely. And there was, you know, there was a period of about nine months there where I made, it was great. It was one of the most enjoyable, exciting times of my life, but I made a lot of sacrifices. I mean, I have had a long-term girlfriend who I'm now engaged to, but I said, hey, I'm moving to Thailand for seven months. It's like, I'm unhappy doing what I'm doing. And unless I do this now, I'm going to be unhappy for the rest of my life. This is a jump that I need to take. And so that was really hard. I was very selfish in that regard. Would you and do that so, differently today? No. L- looking I back? Wouldn't. It's one of those things, as hard as it was at the time, and we broke up for a couple months in there. But I also knew that if I'm not happy, I'm not going to be able to help anybody else achieve their goals in life. And I would probably stay in that job that I didn't like and just kind of continually grow bitter. And so you know, now I think that you know, we've got a fantastic relationship. And I think a big part of it is because I took the leap and I I took that time to be selfish and focus on my business and my goals and what I wanted, because that essentially is just building the foundation for what the rest of my life is going to look like. So when you're over there, you're over there, you wrap up with uh, the tropical MBA stuff. You're certain your location 180 is kind of getting going. What kind of doubts, fears, insecurities are you wrestling with? I'm terrified with just how am I going to support myself long term? You know, at this point, I've, you know, been spending months in Thailand. I was traveling around. I went down to Bali. I went to the Philippines, you know, having a great time. And the thought of another cubicle desk job is scary for so many reasons, because now I've been advocating this location independent lifestyle and the power of entrepreneurship and all of this stuff. And so, you know, that'd be the worst thing ever to go back to all my readers and be like, yeah, it didn't work out. (laughs) You guys do it, but I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm back back at a day job. And so I think that was one of my, my biggest fears is, you know, I took this chance. I made this leap. I was being selfish. And the idea that I did all of that and it wasn't going to work out the way that I wanted it to. That was scary. Yeah, for sure. So at what point did you finally feel like, hey, I think this is going to work. Like this whole blog thing, I think this might actually come together and I could make a living from this. So basically, you know, there's kind of a three-step process that I teach people. And we can maybe go into that specifically a little bit later. But When I got back, I got back in July of 2010, uh, end of July, and I was like, okay, I need to find a way to make a living. I'm still working with Dan, still working with Tropical MBA, so I've got a little bit of money coming in, but not enough to support me in Portland or the United States. So I was like, okay, well, I've learned a ton about search engine optimization, so I'm going to do freelance SEO. And two weeks after being back in town, there was kind of a big social media meetup party in Portland, 
And a friend invited me to that and I went and just started telling people, hey, I do freelance SEO. Here's some of the sites that I've worked on. I got offered three jobs on the spot. Dang. Two of those were desk jobs where I had to show up nine to five. And I said, you know what? I'm not ready to go back to that. And one of them was an SEO company and they just needed somebody that they could freelance or hire work out to. So they say, we can pay $2,000 for this job. It needs to be done in two weeks. Can you do it? And so that's what I did. So I found a few people like that where I didn't have to manage clients. I got to do all the SEO work and I just reported to somebody in that company. And you know that's how I supported myself for a year and a half while I continued to build up the blog. I continued to develop my own products and, and so on. Nice. So that was your primary source of income for a year and a half. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, tell us about the, so you've got three steps. If someone's wanting to do this, if someone's listening to this right now and they're going, okay, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm in my desk job. I'm in cubicle land. I'm living this unfulfilled life that I hate. I got to get out of here. I'm intrigued by, maybe I'm intrigued by the travel. Maybe I'm just intrigued by doing my own thing. What are the three steps that you, you prescribe that can help someone make that leap? Okay. So step number one, and most, the reason a lot of people that get started online, the reason they're not successful is they skip these first two steps. They start doing something, they start working on it. It doesn't work. They get frustrated. They go back to their day job. So step number one is take the time to learn some of the fundamental skills you need to be successful online. So things like basic copywriting, WordPress, everything I do is on WordPress. It makes it easy for, you know, technical idiots like myself to build good looking websites social media for business, basic SEO. So all of these skills that no matter what you do online, all of these things are really useful. And so I tell people, start a blog and use that as a way to hone all of these skills. So start a blog and use it to practice your SEO. Start a blog and use it to work on your headlines and see if you can get email opt-ins and stuff like that. You know, start a blog to you know, treat that as your business and you know, practice social media that way. And a lot of people just jump straight into, I want to build a membership site, or I want to build a product, or I'm going to build an e-commerce store. And those things are great, but if you don't have the fundamental skills from the beginning, then it can be really frustrating to, to start some of those things. So you're just basically creating a laboratory for yourself. I'm, this is my, this is my, I'm a mad scientist. I'm just doing experiments, seeing what works and what doesn't. Exactly. And that's what Location Rebel, or what Location 180 was for the first two years. I wrote about all sorts of different topics. I tried all sorts of different things and just kind of, you know, paid attention and saw what worked. So that's step number one. Step number two, and this is the one a lot of people like don't even think about, but what I tell people is take one of those skills that you're now pretty good at and freelance them. So what this allows you to do is say, say you're a good writer. So you decide you're going to do freelance, you know, copywriting or freelance SEO writing or something like that. It's a relatively easy business to get started with. You've already got most of the skills you need. And there's a lot of people looking for that kind of work. So this does two really important things. It builds your income and it builds your confidence. So it builds your income in the sense it's like, okay, you know, within three to four months of doing this, you can make three to $5,000 and you've got the confidence to know that you can support yourself. It's like whatever you want to do. I mean, once you're making four grand a month, you know, that gives you a lot of, a lot of choice. It's a lot like, of options. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, I'm going to leave my day job and I'm going to, you know, focus on this full time or, you know, I'm going to keep doing this on the side, but now that I know I can support myself, I'm going to, you know, do something maybe a little bit sexier. And that kind of is where step number three comes in. So build your skills freelance one of those skills in order to build income and confidence. And then step number three is apply it to projects you really want to be working on. So, you know, 
freelance writing, you know, some people love it, but a lot of people are just like, eh, it's just not that interesting. So that's when you maybe start trying to professionalize your blog and do information products. Maybe you create a affiliate marketing niche site. Maybe you start a podcast. Maybe you create an e-commerce store. I mean, there's all sorts of other things. You know, for me, that's when I created Location Rebel, my premium product community. Uh, I created a golf site all around my love of golf, Breaking 80. I have a photography site, HDR Software. So, so once you've got that you know, fundamental base, you've got the income, you've got the skills, you've got the confidence, that's when you start doing all the really cool, exciting, passive income projects or whatever you want to call it. But it's easy, like you, like you mentioned up top, it's easy just to leapfrog those first two steps going, all right, I'm passionate about this, let's do it. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you don't have some, some type of base that you're working off of, it, it's an uphill battle. And I think that's the mistake most people make is everybody, you know, there's all this talk. People read the four hour work week and it's like, sweet, I'm going to start a passive income business around my like, you know, big hobby or whatever it is. And, you know, they start, you know, getting into it and they're like, oh, this is a lot harder than I expected it to be. But when you've got that base and you've got that freedom and you've got that time, like if you're making $4,000 writing, you leave your job you know, you can do that work and say 30 hours a week, then you've got a ton of extra time and freedom with which you can build out your new project. So, you know, for instance, my golf site, I started it over a year ago and it makes a little bit of money, but not a whole lot. And for the amount of time and effort I put into that, if I still had a day job, there's no way I'd be able to, you know, devote that much time to my kind of passion project. But now because I've got this, you know, business and I can do it from anywhere and I can work on my own hours. It gives me the free time to devote to that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think you described that really well, that that the golf thing may never pay the bills, but you've got enough going from the location 180 and a few other buckets where money's coming in and you've got some revenue streams happening that it gives you the time to say, let's create a site about playing golf because I'm into that and I may never make a living from it, but I really dig that. And it just allows you to pursue some of those side pet projects. Exactly. Nice. Very cool. Looking back, is there anything that you would do differently? What advice would you give to your your 24, 25-year-old self? (laughs) You know, to be honest, there isn't a whole lot I would do differently in that regard. I might have made the leap a little bit earlier. If if I were to go back and talk to my 24, 25-year-old self, that was the person that decided to make the leap and, you know, do it. So I would basically just say, Keep doing what you're doing. If you're not happy, it's gonna be okay, buddy. (laughs) It's gonna be all right. You're gonna come through on the other side, great. But I would say if you're not happy with something, change it sooner rather than later because the longer you wait, the harder it gets to change. Tim Ferriss had a quote. He once said that most people will choose unhappiness over uncertainty. And I think that's absolutely true. For 18 months, I sat in my day job and I had this uncertainty around, you know, what's my boss going to do if I leave? You know, how am I going to pay the bills? What are my friends and family going to think? What's going to happen? And once I finally, you know, said, you know what, my happiness is more important then, you know, this potential of what might happen. Once I made that decision, everything kind of started falling into place. Yeah, for sure. And it's one thing now for, you know, guys like you and I, where we can look back and be like, ah, oh, it worked out. It was great. I mean, we hustled and there's some definitely some sleepless nights and you're wondering how it's all going to play out. But yeah, when you're in the midst of it, you're in the trenches, you're just like, oh dear God, I hope, I hope this works. And I hope I don't have to go back and get a job. And you have some days where you feel great. And some days where you're just like, oh man, I feel like, I feel like it's all falling apart. I'm not really sure what to do. Well, it's one of those things I like to ask people. It's like, when was the last time in your life the absolute worst case scenario ever happened. Sure. And it's like, what is the worst case scenario? Okay, I'm gonna leave my job, I'm gonna move to Thailand for six months. What's the worst case scenario? All right, like the business doesn't work out, I have to come back, get a job, and I'm 25 years old at the time is what I would have been, or 26 or something. Okay, that's not that bad. I got a big adventure, I got some life experience, and 
a lot of employers are going to look at that as a benefit. <laughs> so it's, you know, really when you put things in perspective, what you think might be this huge, big, scary, terrible thing really probably isn't that bad. You felt like either way, it's going to be a win. Exactly. It's like there was really a, no way that I could lose in, in this situation. And it just so happened that kind of the, the best case scenario worked out where I was able to start a business that helps a lot of people and I can get to continue to travel and do all the stuff I like to do while I'm at it. Beautiful. Well, uh, let's wrap this up, put a bow on it. You've got this Location Rebel product that helps teach people those three steps, just a lot more in depth. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So Location Rebel, I started two and a half years ago, and that's exactly what it's all about, is starting with the basic skills, helping you turn one of those skills into a business, and then helping you grow the business you really want to be growing long term. So we've got over 700 members in there now. The most important part about you know, this or any system like it is the community. You know, this is kind of an unconventional thing. It's like when I was going through this process, it's like I knew Chris and my buddy Ryan, but I didn't really know a lot of other people that were building this type of solopreneur type business. And so to have a community full of people that are working on the exact same type of thing uh, as you that get it, I mean, that's, I think, one of the most powerful aspects of the entire thing. So if that's something you're interested in, shoot me an email or check out locationrebel.com. Sweet. Well, where, uh, where can we find out more about like Location Rebel? Where can we find out more about uh, who you are, what you do, email, Twitter, all that stuff? I'm pretty easy to find. So Location 180 is seanogle.com, S-E-A-N-O-G-L-E, at Sean Ogle on Twitter, facebook.com slash location 180. And for anybody that's interested in golf, you can check out breaking80.com with 80 spelled out. Beautiful. Sounds good. Sean, thanks for the time. Thanks for the knowledge, Biscuits, man. Always good talking to you. My pleasure, man. I appreciate it. All right. Boom. There it is. There it was. There you have it. Sean Ogle coming at you. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Just really cool story. Just crazy, crazy how planning his exit and looking for that way out and then Boom, here's a little uh, bombshell the company's going to drop on you. But really cool about how that was one of the best things that ever could have happened to him. And again, that's a theme I think you're going to hear a lot on this show. So uh, hopefully you learned some stuff there. Hey, if you want to check out Location 180, if you want to check out anything else that we talked about there, even uh, Sean's flagship program, uh, Location Rebel, uh, you can go to grantwaldencom slash Sean Ogle. You can find all the details there. So make sure you stop by and check that out. grantwaldencom slash Sean Ogle. All right. Hey, if you have haven't heard by now, we are running this contest. We want to help people find out about this podcast. We want to help just promote it, get the word out there. So we're giving away some cool stuff, giving away an iPad, giving away a coaching session with me, giving away $100 to Amazon. And just uh, we're, we're trying to entice you. We're trying to tease you. We're trying to get you to share the podcast with some people. So all the details you can find at grantbaldoncom slash contest is where you can actually enter. There's three simple steps you can do to uh, enter into this contest here and how you can be eligible to win these delightful prizes. Number one, if you would go into iTunes and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Really, really simple. You can find detailed instructions and screenshots at uh, grantbaldoncom slash contest if you don't know how to do that. So just subscribe to the podcast, number one. Number two, if you would, just leave us an honest rating and review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show, what you're learning, who some of your favorite interviews are so far. Any of that stuff that you can share with us, that would be phenomenal. And then numero trace, if you would, on the grantbaldoncom slash contest page. If you would, just enter in your email at the bottom of the page for two reasons. One, we want to keep you up to date on the show, different guests that we have on and different uh, things that we've got going on with the podcast. And then two, if you win a prize, 
we got to be able to contact you. So uh, just make sure that we know where to send your iPad, where to send your $100 for Amazon, where to uh, hang out with me on Skype for a bit. So make sure that you just do those three things. Again, all the details can be found at grantbalden.com slash contest. All right, there you have it, my friends. That puts this episode in the books. And uh, we're going to be coming at you real soon with another great episode of How Did You Get Into That? Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you again real soon. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.